Guy will Hawkeyes celebrate a long, proud history. In 1970, the university made a key hire, Bump Elliott as athletic director. Labeled as the coach's AD, he ushered in a golden age. But it was a new type of gold, a yellow gold. He brought in Dan Gable, Lute Olson, Hayden Fry, and Vivian Stringer, all Hall of Fame coaches. Coach Fry inherited a program that had struggled through 17 losing seasons and needed change. As part of his rebuild, he decided to rebrand his team, getting permission from the Super Bowl champion Steelers to emulate their uniforms. He worked with a local art director to create the Tigerhawk logo and complete the makeover, saying, where I come from, it's called selling the sizzle before the steak. Coach Fry and his coaching peers lived up to the task presented by the AD, and Iowa has never looked back. Black and Yellow Gold aims to celebrate the great people, programs, community, and culture that define Hawkeye Nation. And Dwight Yoakam telling a story, it's like every word he says reminds him of another story. <laughs> Are you making so fun sort of me right now? No, but it, it was, you were a good experience for that, because then I could actually <laughs> sort of follow his tangents, but it's like, yeah. Hello again, fellow Hawkeyes. It's Eric Hennigan, kicking off a different kind of shorter episode. I plan on doing these with my buddy Gregory Galloway. I think we're going to be calling them Black and Yellow Gold OT. Besides the obvious sports reference to wrap up insights from previous podcasts, he and I typically have meandering conversations and uh, OT represents other thoughts or on a tangent. And we're pretty good at it, as you'll soon hear. While I love sports and my team's winning, there's so much more to them than just the score or analysis of the game. I think he and I share a real passion for the stories that are associated with the game and the role that they play in our lives. I met Greg at Iowa while I was working on his Master's of Fine Arts at the Writer's Workshop, and I was lucky enough to get into the undergrad workshop. He did poetry, and I uh, focused on prose. He's a novelist and in a previous life worked with me at a digital agency my brother and I started with an angel investment from Dan Gable. So meet Greg. We recorded this a few weeks ago, but it's still relevant. My friend Greg Galloway, how are you doing out in Connecticut? I'm doing well, all things considered. All right. You're quarantining well? You're not, not a lot of neighbors around you. <laughs> no, not, not too many. Um, so, uh, very quickly, you uh, live there with your wife, you've, a Jersey girl. You've turned into a Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Maybe bigger Hawkeye fan than, than I am. Which is saying something. Yes. And, and has her New Jersey family converted into it as well? Many, many. They, they get uh, a little torn, you know, when I was playing somebody that they like from the East. Would it be Rutgers? Some Rutgers, some Rutgers, some Syracuse, some St. John's. It depends on who it is, what the sport is. So you're, I just uh, learned earlier, you're not born in Keokuk. Like I thought you were born in Burlington, but how old were you when you went to Keokuk, Iowa? You were like three years old, I think, when we moved from Burlington. And oddly enough, your dad is a Notre Dame fan. Huge Notre Dame fan. In fact, um, that's basically the only uh, campus that he took me to was the Notre Dame campus. And I remember driving around with him and him, oh, look how beautiful this campus is. Oh, have you ever seen a football stadium like this? And so I said, I said, yeah, it's great, Dad. And, you know, you're going to 
you're going to pay for me to go to Notre Dame? Oh, I can't pay for you to go to college. <laughs> so is that how you but end up did, at Iowa? He did drive me there. Um, yeah. So it's funny that my dad was a Notre Dame fan and I applied to, uh, three colleges. I applied to Texas, Iowa, and USC. And I think the USC was just a counterbalance his Notre Dame. <laughs> just to be a pain in the ass. And I thought, I thought I would go to Texas. I thought I would go to Texas up until sort of the last moment. And then I went to, you know, family to there. My older brother was at Texas, so I'd been on campus there. Um, I had obviously been familiar with Iowa City because we would go there. And um, for me, it sort of came down to financial stuff. You know, as I mentioned, my father sort of announced that he couldn't afford to send me to college, so I knew I'd have to pay my own way. And Texas was cheap at that point. USC was not cheap. Um, And actually thought about even going into the – the military. I had friends in high school who were going that route. Had an older friend in high school who went that route. My father and all his brothers had been in the in the military, but they had all served during one or two wars. Um, and you know, it was basically a way to to try to finance an education. And then I do remember going. I think it was the spring of my senior year. Maybe was up in Iowa City and remember seeing the ROTC guys parading around outside Kinnick actually and thought that just looked like the dumbest thing ever. It's obviously not dumb, but as a 17-year-old kid, I thought it just looked dumb. These guys doing these military maneuvers near a football stadium. And it's like, well, if I go to college, I want to go to college. You know, I think I, I think I mentioned to somebody, it's like, I don't want to be a priest in the whorehouse. <laughs> I want. I wanted the full college experience. I didn't want a military college experience. I have some friends who did it who definitely had the full college experience. Yeah, fraternity brother, airborne. Um. So you. Uh. So you're. Are you a fan going into college or not? Were you a big Iowa fan growing up? You know, it's funny because it's like I think I. I think I paid very little attention to Iowa football at that time because you know, frankly, they weren't very good. And, um, you know, right before I went to college, um, the Iowa had made the final four in basketball and, you know, Lute had come in and sort of turned that program around. I think he came, I want to say 74, I could be wrong, but around there. So it's like, you know, he had sort of made that a basketball school. And so I, I would watch Hawkeye basketball, you know, my, my football Saturdays were sort of dominated by Notre Dame. So. Yeah, I think the order of uh, Bump Elliott hires of those Hall of Fame coaches was uh, Dan Gable, Lou Olson, then Vivian Stringer, and then Fry. Yeah, yeah, Fry. Fry had only been there, I think, one season when I was a freshman. Seventy nine, he came in. Yeah, so I was a freshman, fall of eighty, and um, I remember, you know, basically when you registered for classes, they asked you if you wanted football tickets and i think they were it was 24 dollars. i think for the season so wow. you know four bucks a game or whatever it was i think there were six home games that year and they were bad they were bad that freshman year yeah um had a losing record and then you know obviously turned it around but quickly I he turned it on quickly yeah i mean then the yeah. rose bowl like four years later if i'm not mistaken so yeah 83 or 83 was it or 84 yeah four years so i think it is 80 yeah right around there yeah, and um, and obviously the basketball team was good in '83. I think they made them might have made the Sweet 16 in '83 or around there anyway. So, you know, it's sort of nice to be 
be at a school, um, you know, that had sort of dominance in both sports. That's like still said. under loot. Is that got loose last season? It's not under raveling. That was his that. last season. That was his last season, I think. And then obviously when raveling came in, you know, they had a nice run. Crazy. Um, so, okay. So you end up at Iowa, obviously you do become a fan. And did you get season tickets? Did you go to the games and everything back then? Oh yeah. Yeah. I went, I went to games until I think I was a junior. Why'd you stop? You know, I think I just was getting more and more serious about sort of, you know, getting my education and concentrating on that. And then, um, you know, one of the dominating reasons that I went to Iowa, which was sort of like not the best call, was because I the end goal was to get into the workshop. So, and did you know how how young when you realized you want to go to the writers' workshop? Young, young, really? Like, sort of, yeah. Yep. How did you know about it? How were you even aware of it? Yeah, it's funny because we had a neighbor in Burlington of all places, and we would go up and visit her, and. um, she had gone to the workshop and, um, you know, you know, she sort of instilled that in me or cultivated that, that in me. And, you know, I think when I expressed the desire to be a writer that she sort of like talked about the workshop and introduced me to other writers and, you know, talked about Iowa city and all that sort of stuff. That's very cool. Um, and the other thing is that you also, I, I always forget about this when you, you did actually play a little football in high school. I did play a little part. football in high school, and my you, sophomore year. And you played for Vandenberg quarterback from Iowa's grandfather. It was his, was it his grandfather? grandfather yep. Is that right? Yep. Not his father? Nope. I'm an old man. You are an old man. Um, yeah, I did not play for, he was the varsity coach. So I was on the sophomore team, but, um, you know, certainly certainly knew him and, and, um, you know, he would come over and watch us practice and stuff, but we had, we were bad. I think we lost every, every game all four years. I was in high school. I, I did, I did get to sit next to him during a, uh, during oh, an Iowa that. game. Yeah. My, my buddy, uh, Kyle Beard, who wrestled me at Iowa, his, he gave his tickets to the, to the Vandenbergs every once in a while. And the, the grandparents were sitting there. And, um, I mentioned that you played for him and, also, you had told me that you took sex ed from him, and Grandma told me that he had no business teaching that class. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> oh, first-hand experience? <laughs> <laughs> well, from sitting in class. <laughs> um, okay, so you you uh, end up at Iowa, and the Writer's Workshop is not an easy thing to get into. It's like the Iowa wrestling program. Yeah, yeah, it, um, none of that did I realize. The numbers, like said, you know that like now. I said they, they, they let very few undergrads from Iowa into the workshop. And in fact, I remember um, I applied both to the um, the fiction fiction part of the workshop and the poetry part of the workshop, and I got in on poetry. Um, but the, I think it was the very, like, orientation. They basically said, you know, if there's somebody from here who's actually from Iowa, raise your hand because there's a scholarship opportunity. And it was myself and one other guy who raised our hand being from the state of Iowa. And so they said, you know, come talk to us. And so I went up there and said, Oh, I'm from Iowa. And they said, Oh, but you're in the poetry thing. The scholarship's only available to the fiction. Oh, so you didn't get it. So you got it. (laughs) Yeah. So that sort of eliminated all of his competition for the scholarship. So you worked your way through college. 
I worked my way through college. Um, you could do that then. Yeah. So I was, they had work study. So I did that for a couple of years and worked in the library. I worked in the, uh, the government publications section of the library, which was actually really interesting and, um, fun. Um, and then I worked in the record store for a number of years and I worked in record collectors where I got my first job and then went over to BJ records where I was actually on salary and had healthcare and crazy stuff like that. And that's pretty much where we spent the majority of kind of, kind of on the knowing each other. Yeah. I wouldn't I, call I it really it was, knowing each other, but I used to buy. Yeah, we had a, we had a class together, which I don't think we ever spoke. Chaucer, um, can, you know, Chaucer yeah. Canterbury Tales, which I had no business being in. Well, I, that was my, I think my first semester at grad school and maybe your first semester of no, my first semester. College. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, you, you couldn't get in any classes because everything was taken and I end up in Chaucer Canterbury Tales with a bunch of graduate students. Yeah. He was very good to me. That yeah, he was a good professor. Yeah, very good. And then, I, you know, so we were in that class, which I don't really, you know, vaguely remember you being in there, but, you know, I didn't talk to a whole lot of people in class or outside of class. And then I just remember talking to you in the record store. You turned me on to my first jazz stuff. And then when we finally got to know each other, I, I was living in a house with several of your friends. It was 4th of July. And uh, you came over looking for them and none of them were there. And I had... um I just purchased the mixings I'd read in GQ of a Lynchburg Lemonade. Yes. And I just bought two CDs that week from you guys. One you suggested, Dwight Yoakam, and your co-manager, who was heavy into heavy metal. That doesn't work. He was big into heavy metal. He had convinced me about this band he said was going to be huge. It was Guns N' Roses. Yeah, which was like six months before they broke. He he was way ahead of the curve on that, I have to say. Made, you guys made me ahead of the curve, so we, we mixed between Dwight Yoakam and Guns N' Roses, an interesting mix, and drank Lynchburg Lemonade. Yes, and i like to point out is that, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I probably would not have stuck around for the drink. <laughs> well, so going forward without telling too much of our history, we ended up becoming very good friends and have been ever since, and we even got to work together, so. Yeah. Good yeah, gig. A little... Yeah, it was a very good gig. And you moved to New York City. and uh, Yeah, I moved to New York City sort of right after the workshop. You know, I think I stuck around for a little bit, worked, saved up some money, and then and then moved out to New York City because a mutual friend uh, had come out ahead of time. And he basically said, that you know, come out. You can stay on my couch for a while. And if you like it, stay. And if you don't, go back to Iowa. And when I came out, he didn't have a couch, so I slept <laughs> on his floor for a while. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you stuck it out and made it work. Yeah. Okay. So then you since have become, um, you've written two novels, actually three, the third ones hasn't been published yet, but you've written two novels that are well-received. You want to describe those a little bit? Yeah. The first one was published on the adult list, but it was really sort of taken up by high school kids and, um, you know, did receive an award as like the best, the best adult novel for teenagers. So it's sort of been adopted by the young adult market. And then the second one was a, was a young adult novel that was published for young adults. And there's definitely like a certain, uh, there's definitely a certain type of person who read pretty much high school girls, right? 
there's a demographic there. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the audience was predominantly uh, high school and early college girls. Well, there, there's but, a little... you know some some and you know that might be the demographic of the readership at that age, but also like to like to hear from you know the guys who have never finished a novel and will finish that one. As simple as snow is the first. And then yeah. Th- 30, 38 or 39 30, deaths. 39 deaths of Adam Strand was the second one. All right. So there's a little history about us. And as you know, I've long wanted to have some collaborators as I move forward with this uh, perceived project I have. And you'd be top of the list. And I hope that that actually comes to fruition. So thanks for at least coming on this thing for now. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what we're going to call this or what, how we're even going to proceed with this, but uh, I really don't want this to be a newsy type of thing. I think that stuff's already being covered by people better than you and me, but that doesn't mean not, not actually discussing some of the issues that are taking place with our Hawkeyes. And there's certainly been a lot of it in the last several months, everything coming on with the Black Lives Matter. Oh, to yeah, A lot, and unfortunately, I don't think that that Iowa looks so great at the moment and how they're dealing with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to pinpoint why that is. And I think transparency is a big part of that. And they've always I been think kind of, yeah. I think you're right. And I also, I think that, you know, they're sort of, I think beating up on these smaller little programs to their detriment. And, you know, I think they're, they're looking at permanent solutions to temporary problems. Well, people who don't understand that, um, what you're discussing there is obviously there's been four teams that have been dropped from, I'm sure hopefully most people are aware now, but some may not be. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of listeners are maybe just uh, focused on the big sports, but college always has you know, involved and supported Olympic type sports. Um, you know, my concern as a wrestler is that if these other colleges like Stanford who recently dropped wrestling, that, our, our wrestling team needs competition to wrestle against. And there's still great wrestlers at places like Stanford. It's just not as big and popular as it is in Iowa. Yeah, so these, these you know, recently it's been men's and women's swimming, which is a big one given that they just spent seven, between 70 and $75 million building that uh, facility just a decade ago. And men's gymnastics and men's tennis. And, uh, you know, the, what they're saying in terms of the accounting is that it's $5 million dollars um, that goes towards those four programs annually, and they bring in like five forty or five fifty, uh, five hundred forty five hundred fifty thousand a year, and um, yeah, and so the, the yeah, know, and all of that is all of that is fine, except you know, then they start talking about how they're in this huge deficit, and that deficit is um, you know, and, and they acknowledge that this is a big range, but between forty and sixty million. So you know, I don't understand what what a half a million dollars is when you're talking about 40 to 60, where's, where's that drag? Where's the bulk of that 40 to 60 million? And as you and I have discussed, you know, it's like the football staff salaries is 12 million, but still that leave, where's the other 50 million? I don't understand where the expenditures are on that. And I think that's your point about the lack of transparency, which is, you know, I'd sort of like to see what the, what the costs are. And what they talk about is loss of revenue, which I understand they're not they're not, not gaining revenue from obviously fans in the stadium and those things, but those aren't costs. So, you know, where where's the where's the forty to sixty million? And that's a number new number. Then that's a new number because of the fact that they still don't know what they're going to get now off television. 
but that number you're throwing out right there is it was a hundred million when they first started talking about it. Then it went to 75 and now we're talking 40 to 60 and it could be even smaller than that, given the fact that they're going to play a season. And then I read, Correct. I read something today from the president of the university saying that even though they have actually, so in the last few days, the people have pledged enough money to cover three years of the season. And it's, uh, from the swimming season or for, for or, all, for all, all four sports, sports, they've, they've raised 1.7 where they've, they're, they're called pledges. So I don't know what that means. I mean, I don't think you're on the line. Well, I don't know how you're on the line. For Correct. It, right. So people have pledged that money, but obviously if the, the, you know, if the sports don't come back, then they're not going to pay the money. Correct. It's, it's specifically geared towards those sports. And I have no reason not to believe these people are legitimate in in their pledge, but, uh, What's what's weird about it, the the president I guess today said it would take tens of millions for him to reconsider. That doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's how the university is not looking good in yep. my mind. And um, you know, because then that seems that you're being punitive for no reason. And you know, as we talked about, it's like if you start looking at each of these sports as that they have to be profitable before you have them, you're not going to have very many sports left. In fact, Iowa football wasn't even profitable until I think it's 2007. And and that that's where the idealism is starting to lose its luster. You know, you it it was never these sports were never supposed to necessarily be. We've talked about this. It's like a news station was never supposed to be profitable bring that up all the time. Right. And the fact that, that we're eliminating sports that they have had some Olympians and everything out of it, but that was never the intent of it. It's part of the college experience anyway. And, and, and the cost of them, I, I'd love to see historical costs for these sports compared to what they are yeah. now. I don't know why. Well, like inflated. I said, like I said, it's like, they keep saying like, you know, this hole of 40 to 60 million. And it's like, are those expenditures or is that just lost revenue? Because those are two entirely different things. Yep. And again, and again, the the as we talked about the swim the swim coach, he coaches both the boy, the men and the women. It's my understanding, and he gets paid like a hundred thousand dollars. There's probably not a single person who is on staff at Iowa football who gets less than a hundred thousand dollars. Right, and, and again, it's not to bash Iowa football. It's not their problem. Correct. It's, yeah, it's not right, but it's like you know, if you're looking at at fiscal problems, beating up on the swimming and gymnastics doesn't seem to be the right thing. It's like it's like the you know the people who talk about the budget deficit and then want to eliminate PBS, which costs like taxpayers fifty cents a year. You know, it's like that's not going to solve your problem. Yep, that's a perfect analogy to it. And and so we were talking about this obviously last week's uh, whatever it was, the last episode, the last podcast was Mark Kaufman, whose daughter's on the swimming team, and has been a huge booster for the university, and he wants answers as well, and he knows this stuff inside and out. He actually sits on the um, I believe it's the board of the foundation, but it's it's one of the boards for fundraising. And he's got clear frustration because it isn't been, even the way it was communicated to the kids was kind of weird. And you can listen to it in the last podcast, but um, it's a shame that it's, it's so not, you know, use the term Iowa way, which has taken on other connotations in the last few months. But in, in terms of the whole athletic department, there has always been a upfront Iowa way, hardworking, you know, communicating. So yeah. And, you know, and also it's good for Mark and, you know, he does a lot of really good things for a lot of different organizations and obviously does a lot of good things for Iowa, but it's also, it's, um, 
it's unfortunate that uh, he has to have a personal stake in something to get answers and, um, you know, have any chance at resolving this. And, you know, and it is because of his financial importance to, to that community. But it's like, you know, it'd be nice if the university, to your point, would do something without having, um, you know, a significant donor bring that to bear. Yeah, you know, they, that's they, not right. They, they, it, it's not right. And, you know, it's a it's a problem that should be addressed in other ways. But it's it's good for Mark, um, you know, and I'm glad he's doing it because if, if he weren't doing it, I, I don't think I would be as educated about the issues and you probably wouldn't be as educated about the issues and the university wouldn't be as educated about the issues. Yeah. And then another person who's been a great advocate with him, uh, there's a lot of people, obviously, and I don't know their names, and I should, and I'm doing my best to learn about it all, but Matt Purdy, um, he played football and was a captain. His his favorite picture, apparently, is carrying him and another teammate carrying Fry off the field on his 200th win, and uh, I'm sure you've read about him, but his son, Ryan Purdy, is on the swim team currently, and uh, it was the most exciting thing for him, for his son, who's a, apparently a really good swimmer. And, um, you know, it's it's crushing him right now, but he's been very outspoken, vocal about it. And reaching, and that's an athlete who gets it. So it may not be a deep pocket donor or anything like that, but it's somebody with a lot of ties and a lot of love for the university. Both those guys uh, bleed black and gold. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think it is unfortunate, as I said, because I think, I think it does. We take pride in a lot of things that Iowa does, you know, and all across that campus, and it's unfortunate that, that they're not handling this as well as they should. That, that's something else you and I discussed um, in talking about Mark's interview in that, uh, and it's been your experience as well. You've been talking about the financial side of things and you recently read an article and if we can find it, maybe we'll put a link up to it. But that these, a lot of these people who are well off and everything go to these Ivy league schools. And we've certainly seen the, uh, we've certainly seen what came out of parents desperately doing anything they could to get their kids into these schools. But that a lot of the success stories are people like Mark and stuff. I put you in that as well, writing and everything. They come from state institutions. Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, as I, as I sort of pointed out, the schools I applied to were all state institutions. That's the experience I wanted. I wanted to be, and, you know, not as from a small town as, as Mark is, I know Olds, Iowa we used to go through there going from Iowa city to Keokuk back and forth. Oh, I didn't but, know it was that um, direction, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not far from Crawfordsville, I don't think. Home of the Republican Party, they claim. Um, but yeah, so Keokuk, you know, I think it was maybe around 12,000 when I was there. Small, working-class river town. And, you know, I wanted I wanted um, a big college experience. And, and, you know, Iowa gave me that. And, you know, it's like I was very fortunate to have that experience and, you know, got to meet people from all across the spectrum. One of my roommates was a pharmacy major, um, you know, new, new guys in the theater department, new people in the art department, new people in the music department, new people in the dental school. And it's like, that, that's what was fantastic about it. I didn't really hang out with the English people. I didn't hang out with people in the workshop. I hung out with people from from outside of that, that experience and dumb really wrestlers dumb wrestlers exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah not dumb at all well i do my best all right well you know 
Well, there's one other thing I wanted to actually talk. Oh, well, the start of this whole thing is obviously the COVID virus, which we barely tapped on that, but uh, we won't spend too much time. But the, the you know, I, I am actually very surprised how well the professional sports have been able to get through these seasons. It didn't look that good at the beginning of baseball, which you and I follow pretty closely. But um, f- for the most part, they seem to be getting through this and, and the adjustments seem to have worked. I mean, you can argue about whether they're full seasons or whether it's worth it. Yeah, the, 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 you know, the season is what the season is, unfortunately. And, you know, I just read an article today that was going through all the stats and we talk, we're, we're talking about how strange they were. And it's like, of course it's strange. It's 60 games. You could carve up a baseball season into any given 60-game segment. You're going to come up with freakish stats. But, yeah, it's like I, I do think it didn't look good, you know, with the Cardinals especially and a lot of games canceled and they Marlins. sort of write it. Marlins and they ride at that ship and you know I I do think that even football looks good in these you know these sports that aren't in the in the bubble and you know I think it's maybe better testing protocols I don't know which that seems to be what the Big Ten is hanging their hat on is the testing protocols I do think that it's a concern for all these athletes, but especially the college athletes is the information coming out of Penn state, which is the heart inflammation stuff from kids who get exposed to the virus and then, you know, the higher, higher um, risk of heart attack or heart problems. And you just sort of hope that they're able to identify those kids that might be at risk and protect them. And it looks looks like the first stats too, that were given out to the big 10, um, presidents when they made that decision the numbers seemed really high but since then the person has retracted the number as high as they were yeah like, and again it's like i don't the data is the data i don't know what why those if the initial numbers were wrong i don't know why they came out if you know i don't know what happened there but it's also i think even for iowa which i haven't really seen a whole lot of information they take such pride in that um medical college over there and the people that they have there and i hope that they're taking a lead on this or have some input into Iowa's decision. And you're, you're pretty tied into that. Your wife has donated some money and everything. You and your wife have donated money to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's sort of been our, our giving has been over in that thing, especially in the dementia area um, in research over on that side. So we've gotten to know them and that, that's such an impressive crew of people out there. Yeah, let me see. Have first hand, first hand knowledge, and have toured everything and met a lot of the folks. Yeah, and, yeah. and just you know, and also it's one of those things that we've looked we looked into a lot of different places because she's a Jersey girl. We looked into Rutgers. We looked in some other places where we could do some giving out east, closer to home. And then we talked to the people at Iowa, and it's like you know they're so generous with their time and uh, the information they provide us in terms of what they're doing with the with the small funds that we're able to give them. And every time we go there, the, you know, the amount of time they take to show us what's going on, show us some of the research they're doing, some of the other stuff they have going on. It's, it's really impressive. And, you know, we feel, we feel like not only that something good is happening with that financial contribution, but that we're actively part of it. Yeah. I even saw the other day that university is actually somehow being used for manufacturing some of these treatment uh, medications. I know they have a big pharma, pharma, I can't say it, pharma. What's the word of the pharmacology department? It's not the right word. Yeah, this, yeah, uh, school of pharmacy. 
How about yeah. that? Okay, that works. Um, but yeah, so I think the New Yorker had this article, which was um, about uh, an island off of Maine that um, that breeds mice for experiments, and they were doing research. This was in the spring, starting their research uh, on the coronavirus, and they realized that they wanted to or needed to have mice that had. Uh, uh, genetically modified lungs, so it would be better in the experiment. And somebody there remembered uh, that somebody at Iowa had developed these mice uh, years ago, and so they contacted Iowa. And uh, obviously, they still weren't breeding those mice, but they had frozen uh, sperm from the mouse, and so they sent the sperm out to this island off Maine, and they started breeding mice from University of Iowa frozen. Mouse sperm. It's amazing, and that's what they've been doing the testing on. Yeah, yeah. So I forget. You know, doesn't take very long. Just a few few generations to have a couple hundred thousand mice that they can use, and then I think they send them all over for people who are doing studies and stuff. And I know I read recently. I think you and I had this conversation before, but shortage of chimpanzees, which is kind of sad, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just brought the COVID thing because now also we're gonna have a season. And, uh, it, you know, a short camp and all of that, but, um, yeah. Yeah. And then quick, quickly, quickly after that, basketball is going to be back and, you know, wrestling will be back and, you well, know, be very works out. I hope so as well. You know, and like I said, I think they're hanging their, hanging their season on testing. That seems to be, um, which does make a big difference. And, and the testing they have now, and I'd heard about that type of testing, but that's your antibodies and stuff, I believe. Is is that what the antigens is? The antigen test, I think so. Yeah, I think that's what I heard. It's like it tests your immune system. And then it will give you, it's very telling about whether you have something serious or not. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Now I'm just being dangerous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, along, along with everybody else. Yeah. Well, but yeah, join I mean, the crowd. You know, I I... I haven't really paid that much attention to college football since it's been on. I'll, you know, turn on a game here and there, but there hasn't been a lot of great games so far, but, um, not so far. And Notre Dame did have to postpone their game this week in Oklahoma state had to postpone their early one. So there's been a few outliers there. Like we had with the Cardinals and the Marlins. So, you know, yeah. And that's like, you know, I guess that's one of the advantages of football over baseball because baseball, they're playing three, four times a week or with this shortened season, even more, Whereas football, you can take a week off. So, you know, if you postpone one game, you can you can basically quarantine for two weeks. Well, let's stop right there. But um, I'm hoping that we can uh, do a lot of this going forward. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll just have to figure out sort of like, yeah, what, what our topic is. We're going to get some feedback. I don't think one topic would be good with you and me. <laughs> I think we're going to meander Probably anyway. Not. Probably not. Oh, speaking of which, so last Friday, they Lyle Lovett had a concert with Dwight Yoakam. Yeah, that we streamed, and it was basically I think it was on for maybe hour and a half, hour forty five minutes. And Did you have to pay probably, for it, or was it free? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was like ten bucks. I think okay. probably half the show was Dwight talking and Dwight Yoakam telling a story. It's like every word he says reminds him of another story. <laughs> Are you making so, fun so, of me right now? No, but it, it was, you were a good experience for that. Cause then I could actually <laughs> sort of follow his tangents, but it's like, it, 
it's like, yeah, it's like one story would lead to like 15 stories before he got back to his point. I know you've made me. Con- and then he kept apologizing. He's like, I under- <laughs> he's like, I know I'm, t- I'm talking through an opportunity for you to play Lyle, but. Uh, well, he's got a podcast now, so he's used to it. And that's kind of his format. Have you ever heard it? that? Yeah, that's his format. Well, I've heard him on I've heard him on Sirius. Well, I haven't heard his podcast, but um, yeah, it's like uh, Lyle Lovett asked him. Uh, well, maybe that's what I'm calling the podcast because I know it's coming out in different ways. So maybe that's it. Lyle Lovett asked him. Uh, a lot of people think you're actually born in Bakersfield, but you weren't, were you? <laughs> and uh, he basically gave a, a geography lesson of the state of Ohio a history of the people who are born on route 23. Um, and 20 minutes later, I think he said, no, I wasn't born in Bakersfield. <laughs> you, you give me, a, you've made me subconscious <laughs> about using the word. Uh, I keep talking about going down rabbit holes and you've gotten very tired of that. Yeah. It's but more like a rabbit, rabbit Warren. <laughs> All right. Well, have a great weekend. All right. Thanks you for know, spending time. You. Much love to you, and uh, you guys uh, take care of those two beautiful dogs, and uh, we'll we'll figure this out. We'll figure out how this is going to work, and maybe some people give us some feedback on what works and what doesn't. Yeah, yeah, we can workshop this thing. <laughs> you know something about that. <laughs> All right, buddy. All okay. right, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. So, per usual, little uh, wrap-up, that 1981 team that... Uh, Greg was around for while he was an undergrad at Iowa. Uh, they got into the 82 Rose Bowl and they were quarterbacked by Gordy Bohannon, who was none other than Jordan Bohannon's father, shooting guard for the current Hawkeyes. Sure, looking forward to this season. It's going to be huge. Save Hawkeye Sports. Well, Mark Kaufman was talking about in the last podcast. They have, uh, in that time, have gotten $2.8 million in pledges. You can find them at SaveHawkeyeSports.com. They're also on uh, Twitter. And please give a rating to the podcast and subscribe. I'd love any feedback. We're on all social media under Black and Yellow Gold. The only exception is Twitter. There's too many characters, so you can hit us up on Twitter at B and YG Hawks. So until next time, my friends, go Hawks! <laughs>